Marriages among the nobility of medieval Europe were often made for political gain. By marrying a prince or princess from another country, you could ensure that your children would inherit the lands of both countries. You could attempt to establish peace between two warring nations, and you could also give your children a heritage that extended back into the ancient monarchies of Europe. When Henry V of England married the French princess Catherine of Valois, it gave England and France a temporary ceasefire, and their son Henry could now claim both England and France as his own, being a descendant of both the ancient English kings and the ancient French kings. When Richard of York's son Edward took the English crown and became Edward IV, he needed to get married. But in doing so, he broke against tradition. Instead of marrying a princess from France or Spain, he married a woman with no titles or vast lands. She was a commoner by the name of Elizabeth Woodville. You're listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, episode 90, Elizabeth Woodville. This episode is part of a larger series on the Wars of the Roses. If you haven't already, start by listening to the episodes on the Plantagenets, Henry VI, and Edward IV. Okay, Race, getting to know you question. I designed this question around a specific story that I like to tell about my life in 2016, which is a really good insight into the kind of personality that I have. Um, anyway, here's the question. What is a time when you learned an immediate lesson? And what I mean by that is like something happens and in that moment, you're like, I am never doing this again. <laughs> okay, so I, my answer is not very exciting, but I instantly knew the answer to this question when I heard it because I had quite a fright and now I have a habit that stays with me forever. So um, I was um, so I'm from a very small town. All of my driving was on like, you know, my small town street and country roads. And so I've always or growing up, like once I got my license and was in high school, I was really afraid of like driving in the city, like on a freeway. If you put me on a freeway at 17, I think I would have like passed out. Oh, because yeah. it was just big and scary and I didn't know you got to exit and one of the lanes is only for carpools and it always stressed me out. <laughs> um, and as a result of that, I can't remember exactly when this was, but fairly early in my driving career, I might have been 20 or something, in, you know, in my 20s, I guess. But I was on a freeway. I, you know, had some experience doing it and I went to change lanes and I'm sure I looked in my mirror because I'm not Ooh. a sociopath. <laughs> but I didn't check my blind spot carefully Ooh, enough. Yeah. And so there was somebody right there. So I went to go over and I got honked at and I cor- corrected and almost went into another lane and it just really freaked me out. And I had a bunch of people in the car and I was like, I never like driving on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> and so now instead of just looking in my mirrors and I get people sometimes if you, who drive with me are like, what are you doing? I lean really far forward before I change lines on the freeway. Like really lean, like almost touch my nose on the steering wheel so I can get a good look in my mirror both ways. And um, I don't think my like my muscle memory, I don't think it's ever going to go away because I almost, you know, drove some poor guy's Corolla off of the freeway in in Phoenix. And uh, so that I learned my lesson instantly and 
I don't think my behavior is ever going back on that one. That's a good story. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's funny too, because now I, well, I feel like I'm similar about blind spots and that I kind of feel like a dinosaur when I actually check my blind spots. Right. Because now <laughs> cars have like fingers and stuff. Yeah. That's uh, going to be a very old fashioned story one day. They're like, yeah. Or like when backing up, I look around, <laughs> I don't use the camera. Yep. Because that's just how I like. That's the car that I started driving on. You know, it's like a habit. You know? Yeah, I don't trust. And I, d- I feel like I don't trust it. I'm yeah, like, exactly. I need to see it. Exactly. Well, very good example. Uh, mine also has to do with driving, uh, and this was 2016. So I had been out of college for a year, and I lived for one year in Cincinnati, Ohio, doing Teach for America. And the school year had ended and I was so excited because it was a hard school year and I was going to take my first like international trip. And I decided because I had like new income as a teacher and I decided to plan a trip to Spain. It was going to be the first time I was ever flying uh, to Europe and I had my passport and everything. And I was like, this will be so nice. I'm going to take like a 10 day trip. It's summer vacation. Uh, It felt like a very cool adult thing to do, you know. Um, and in Cincinnati, the airport was kind of small. So I decided I would fly from Chicago to Barcelona. That was a one-way flight or a nonstop. Uh, and in order to do that, I would drive up from Cincinnati to Chicago. And then I was just going to like stay the night with a friend that I had in Chicago. And then I would the next morning go to the airport. So I would get to hang out with my friend for a little bit. And then I would fly from Chicago to Barcelona. So I get to Chicago. I drive from Cincinnati to Chicago. It's a five-hour drive. I um, get to Chicago. There's like gobs of time. I think I had like a day and a half to kill basically before the airport. Uh, So I hang out with my friend Nick for a little bit. We go, you know, go get dinner, go hang out, whatever. It's a great time. Um, And then we're going back to his apartment for the evening. And I'm like, I don't know if I packed it. And he's like, what did you forget? And I I like rifle through my bags and I'm like, my passport is in Cincinnati right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I could picture it. I was like, I think it's in the desk. And I looked so many times. I just like double, triple checked my suitcase. Finally, I was like, it's not in here. It has to be in Cincinnati. And there's not really a way around this, by the way. Uh, Passports are not digital yet. So uh, maybe this is going to sound like an old story to people in the future listening. But as of today in 2022, you have to have your passport with you. Um, So and what I realized, like the sinking feeling that I got was I actually had time to go back to Cincinnati. It would be cutting it close, but there was technically time. So I called my roommate in Cincinnati and I was like, is my passport there? And he's like, uh, let me look. And he goes to my room and he looks and my room was a mess. And he's like, I don't see it. And I'm like, it has to be there. It just does because it's not in my suitcase, you know? So I'm like, okay, it's time to go home. Like I did not want to cancel the trip. I did not want to miss my first trip to Spain. Yeah, I had the time to do it. Also, I was young. I was only 25. So I was like, I'm going to drive through the night. 
So I turned around. I drove from Chicago to Cincinnati. Uh, it was all through the night. I must have left at like one in the morning and got to Cincinnati at like six or seven in the morning. I remember it was early. And I park my car at the apartment. I walk upstairs. I turn my key. I go into my bedroom. I open up the desk. There's the passport. I grab it. And I go right back out to the car. And I drove right back to Chicago. That is so rough. Didn't even miss a breath. I was like, it was in here. Thank you, though. (laughs) Like to my roommate. (laughs) And all in all, it was like a 10-hour drive. And I didn't sleep that night. So I... I got to Cincinnati pretty much right at this at the exact or excuse me I got to Chicago right at the exact time that I would need to go to the airport so it was like I just like quickly said goodbye to my friend and then it was like okay airport time so it ended up working out but I didn't sleep and so I slept the entire plane ride um but I had my passport I made it to Spain (laughs) and the lesson that I learned is pack your passport first yeah (laughs) before anything else you pack pack your passport actually i would say that for any important thing pack the like five things that you cannot and then whatever else you're packing is not an issue but if you start with the important things then you'll be fine yeah uh my wife and i had to take a flight recently and when that time came i said okay do we have our ids and she said yes i have them and i said hold them up and show them to me. (laughs) I believe you that you've got them in your face or whatever, but like, let's both see them in the same place at the same time right now so that we are are sure. (laughs) But I just think, I mean, you should, I wish I could express like the gut wrench feeling that I got in that moment, realizing not only that I had left the passport, but that I could go get it if I didn't sleep. Because that was, if it, if it was out of reach, if it was like, you don't have time to go get this, yeah, then that's different. It's like, oh, shoot, next time. But yeah. I did have it and I, it was going to it was going to be an extra step, but I felt like it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that says a lot, though, about our generation, because we've grown up in kind of a digital age and it's easy now to just have everything on your phone. You know, yep. so the idea that we have to kind of cling to these weird physical objects like a passport or a social security card feels antiquated yeah all right so we are continuing on in our series about the wars of the roses we are pressing unpause from last episode when we talked about uh sir gowan and the green knight the medieval text Uh, And now we're back in the series to return to the spot where we left off. And when we left off last time, we were just talking about the decline of Henry VI, um, his kind of uh, impotence as a king and his uh, descent into madness, and then his ultimate deposition by uh, Edward IV, the son of Richard of York. And Edward was the first York king to sit with the English crown on his head. So when we talk of the Wars of the Roses being fought between Lancasters and Yorks, we have now experienced a shift from the Lancaster crown in Henry VI to the York crown with Edward IV. And Edward IV was everything that the deposed Henry VI was not. Edward IV is charming, he's handsome, he's young, he's a good soldier, 
And most importantly of all, he's enthusiastic about being a king. And you'll remember that Henry VI never really wanted the job and was not suited for it. Edward's reign really should have been ideal. It should have ushered in kind of a new Camelot for England. Um, but, you know, they don't call it the Wars of the Roses for nothing. <laughs> and as soon as Edward took the crown, unfortunately, there were enemies surrounding him who immediately wanted to remove it. So we will talk today about how that went for Edward. And we'll talk about the pivotal touchstones that happened during his rule. And in particular, one of his most important decisions. Because when Edward took the crown, he was single. And a king has to have children. Um, and so in order to do that, Edward was going to have to get married. And as you can see from the title of the episode, you can probably guess that he ends, spoiler alert, he ends up marrying Elizabeth Woodville, which we'll talk about. Um, but there's an interesting question of who else could Edward have married? And um, Tyler, maybe you'll correct me on this, but I mean, kind of anyone, right? He was the king. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm sure there were any number of fancy ladies who, who that could have worked out with. Um, but there was actually, as you, um, anybody who's been listening, you can probably guess, well, there was probably some sort of marriage of convenience that could have taken place, a marriage of to unite the kingdoms or whatever. Um, and that's true. Ed, Edward also could have married, and there were actually plans for him to marry um, a French princess. Um. And this was we're, we're going to get to some of these players later on. But one of his advisors, Warwick, was like, yeah, let's marry a French princess. This is a great idea. Um, and so Edward could have gone down that road. Um, he even had some other um, or he had a, a mistress through his life named Jane Shore, um, who was not uh, quite the a noble stature that he was. Um, and he fathered some children with her. Um, but Edward doesn't end up in either of those places he definitely doesn't end up marrying um a french princess louis the uh, louis the 11th sister um was offered that was like one of the plans and that was actually um a plan um that would have brought him like into into union with his enemy margaret of anjou but none of that happened and instead um edward ended up marrying elizabeth woodville which has some consequences which we're going to get into <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's interesting to see, too, the pattern of the kings that were before Edward IV. So looking at Henry VI, when he got married, it was to a French princess named Margaret of Anjou. And his father, Henry V, when he got married, it was to a French princess named Catherine of Valois. And so it kind of would just make sense for Edward to marry another French princess, right? Yeah. Um and so it is interesting that uh, he married someone without a French name, Elizabeth Woodville. She was not French. But I have to say also, I don't know, we need to add a footnote about this because I'm just now thinking, I don't know if this was ever on the table, but, and they, they would have been cousins, <laughs> but Edward IV is actually the same age as Margaret Beaufort, who was one of the most available noble women at the time you know um margaret beaufort had that like childhood marriage when she was like three or something and that was considered annulled because she was simply too young to be married and then she got married to edmund tudor at the age of 11 or 12 did we say 
uh, which is yeah. birthed Henry Tudor. We talked about this in a previous episode. Right. Margaret Beaufort came from the line of John of Gaunt, which was one of the, they call that the Lancastrian line. That's where the Henrys came out of. So I honestly don't know if that was ever on the table. Maybe she was already married to Edmund Tudor at the time. Um, I think that's probably the case, but I also hmm. know that Edmund Tudor died in battle. So I don't know if she was just, you know, yeah. not available. Um, but what I can tell you is Edward made an interesting decision. And because of that decision, it would probably indicate that he was not interested in marrying Margaret Beaufort because he was not interested in marrying for political power. And that's because he ends up marrying a common woman. Elizabeth Woodville is as close to a commoner as you can get uh, to be marrying the King of England. She is part of the gentry of England, so not the noble class, but the class down. If you're thinking of Jane Austen times, this is where Elizabeth Bennet's family comes out of. They do not have any kind of like noble title, but you know they have a house or whatever, so they're like middle class. And um, that makes her very unique. She, my understanding is that no other English monarch had ever married uh, one of their subjects before. I think uh, Edward was the first to do so. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, at least not since William, William the Conqueror in 1066. So Elizabeth Woodville is kind of special in that sense. And why did he marry Elizabeth Woodville? Well, she was a knockout. She was just... <laughs> Stunning. She was supposed to be the hottest woman on the entire island of Britain. They said, quote, she had heavy lidded eyes like those of a dragon, which I oh. guess that's a very medieval way of saying that somebody is pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the show, The White Queen on Stars, which takes Elizabeth Woodville's story, she's played by Rebecca Ferguson, who is also the one who plays the mom in the new Dune movie a stunningly beautiful woman. Uh, and so the show really does justice to the fact that Elizabeth Woodville was simply a smoke show. And <laughs> Edward IV, by the way, is played by Max Irons, who is also a smoke show. So if you are looking for one of those steamy history shows, let me recommend the story of Elizabeth <laughs> Woodville and Edward IV in The White Queen. So Elizabeth is a quote-unquote commoner. She's not nobility. Uh, she brings no kind of uh, special political ties to the table. Her mother is kind of noble. Her mother, Jaquetta, was sister-in-law to Henry V because of marriage. So she married Henry V warrior king's brother, the Duke of Bedford. And that technically made her an aunt of the king. She was Henry VI's aunt by marriage. But... The Duke died before Jaquetta and the Duke could have any children. So Jaquetta never got any noble children out of that marriage. And Elizabeth herself was not born of that marriage. Elizabeth was born of Jaquetta's second husband, Richard Woodville. And the Woodvilles were a family that everybody knew about, but they were only minor nobility and they had no great estates nor titles. So when Jaquetta... Uh, lost her husband, the Duke of Bedford, and then married Richard Woodville, it actually scandalized the English court because it was seen like she was kind of stepping down in order to do so. 
but she did it nevertheless. And she had uh, several children with Richard Woodville, including the daughter, the smoke show, Elizabeth Woodville. Edward IV decides he is not going to tell anybody about getting married to Elizabeth, and he marries her in secret, which is really romantic in a Las Vegas, let's elope and not tell anybody <laughs> kind of way. But it is not what you want to be doing when you are trying to start a dynasty and take over the English crown, I will tell you that much. So he shows up to court. And his friend Warwick, the kingmaker, is like, hey, I have all these uh, potential brides. Are you interested in any of these these girls? And Edward's like, oh, no, 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 I'm already married. <laughs> and he brings in Elizabeth and she's like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and the kingmaker is like, uh, excuse me, you didn't tell me about this. And uh, she's not fancy. She's not nobility. Why are you marrying her? Um, and so this is what they call a cause celebre, basically like a big scandal of the day. Uh, everybody was talking about Eliz uh, Edward getting secretly married to the hottest woman on the planet. <laughs> um, but that's what they did, you know, and uh, Warwick the Kingmaker didn't really have a say in that. So you're going to have to get over it, dude, right? Um, so that was that. Edward and Elizabeth get married. I think they have a very lovely marriage together. And they do what you're supposed to do when you're the king of England, and they start having children. And their first baby, unfortunately, is not a boy. It is a girl. And her name is Elizabeth of York, their firstborn child. And we need to uh, write a star in our notebooks about Elizabeth of York, because she's going to be important in the story later on. So important to call her out right now. But Elizabeth of York, like I said, is not a boy, so she can't be the king of England. So they have to keep having children which they do. They have a couple more children. And then eventually they finally do have a boy and they have two boys kind of in a row. I think it was like two years apart and they decide to name them Edward and Richard. And if you're keeping track now, the couple Edward the fourth and Elizabeth Woodville have now named a son, Edward and a daughter, <laughs> Elizabeth. And uh, it takes a special kind of gusto, I think, to name <laughs> children after both names of the parents. <laughs> Yeah, but this is also the 1400s. And you know what? They're not the only ones doing it. Everybody seems to be really into these names, Edward and Elizabeth and Richard and Margaret. Everybody has named one of those four names. <laughs> yeah, you're going to I'm sure at some point I need, will need to be corrected by Miss Edwarding one of the Richards or <laughs> Miss Elizabething one of the, you know, whoever's. No one can keep track. All we can do is is, is just try. <laughs> So they've got these children and, and it's looking great. Like they've got this uh, beautiful princess, Elizabeth of York, and to back her up, they have boys. So everything's going to be okay if anything happens to Edward IV. They've got a, a son to pass the crown to. And it's great. Edward has taken the crown. And by the way, um, we should also mention that Margaret Beaufort's husband, Edmund Tudor, was killed in the war. And... Now Edward is kind of leading this York uh, fantasy up on the throne. And Margaret Beaufort, we would consider a Lancaster. And so Edward unfortunately snubs Margaret because he decides to give lands that were supposed to go to Margaret Beaufort to his brother, George, the Duke of Clarence, who is another one of Richard of York's sons. Uh, so Margaret Beaufort is on the side stewing about this. She's very upset that 
she does not get the lands that were due to her. And that will be important later on in the story. So make a little star in our notes by Margaret Beaufort is mad. Yeah, basically anytime somebody it's like, and they weren't happy about that, you should probably underline it because they're going to come back. They'll underline. <laughs> yeah, they are going to come back. Yeah. Um, so George, Duke of Clarence, brother of Edward IV, gets the lands that were going to go to Margaret Beaufort. And George, Duke of Clarence, also makes a very strategic marriage at this point. And Edward IV and the kingmaker, his friend, Warwick the kingmaker, orchestrate the marriage between George and the kingmaker's daughter, and her name is Isabel Neville. So George, the king's brother, is now married to the kingmaker's daughter, and you have all the York people kind of benefiting from each other now, um, kind of sharing the fortunes of Edward being on the throne. So I'm starting to get, I, I'm starting to develop a theory here. I kind of mentioned it a second ago, but I think the War of the Roses in a lot of ways is just don't let wounds fester. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the moral <laughs> here. So if you remember, so if you're approaching this as more of a noob like me, um, Tyler has already mentioned that somebody got snubbed. Not, and I'm not talking about the lands with Margaret Beaufort. Um so if you're a good detective and you don't know this story um, super well, like I really don't, um, cast your mind back. Who did who did uh, Edward upset? And um, we'll get to that because, like Tyler just said, Edward's got the crown. Um, he's got the Duke of Clarence and the Kingmaker joined in mar- or joined by marriage of of um, you know through family ties. He's got these two advisors, his brother George and. Um, Warwick the Kingmaker. Um, but where we're headed now is the story of how Warwick and his brother George turn on Edward. And so if you remember, Tyler mentioned uh, the Kingmaker having all these grand plans about who's going to get married to who. And then the king rolls in and is like, I married this hot girl that I found. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, if you want to be a War of the Roses detective, you remember these slights and spurns. Um, because if we're trying to answer the question, what takes Warwick and Clarence down this path? Um, you know, that's not the whole reason, but that's certainly a, at least one of the beginning links in the chain. Um, Warwick was not happy with this marriage for several reasons. Um, one, he wasn't consulted, right? Like he, he was kind of made to look a fool. He didn't know any of this was happening. Um, two, there's the station issue, right? Um, where the 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 Privy Council, the the fancy you know um, leaders, said of Elizabeth that she was not quote she was not the wife for him unquote right like people were not happy about this. Um, she's below his station, so Warwick doesn't like that. Um, and uh, maybe even on a on a more uh, macro scale, Warwick is really interested in diplomacy with the French. He's like, I, I, you know, he really wants to, to build some bridges there. That's kind of like an overarching mission that he has. Um, and this keeps continually keeps getting shut down. And I mean, a, a marriage between two families, as we've talked about over and over, is such a strong bond that just like pulling that rug out from under him, like, oh, no, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not marrying into the French. Like that would have just been like, you have blown one of our biggest opportunities 
to to build some bridges right like and and this is a one-shot thing man like you only get married (laughs) once and you picked this late we had we you know i had it all set up you know you can see him getting angry and so that's at least one of the reasons um why warwick is upset um george duke of clarence his brother um edward's brother um is angry for for some of his own reasons and tyler you might be able to figure or fill in some of the um the others for us but um Part of what I my reading is uncovered is so Edward actually initially discouraged the that marriage between Clarence, oh. brother of the king, and the kingmaker's daughter. He's like, yeah, I don't know about that. And again, they were like, why are you messing with yeah <laughs> with our perfectly <laughs> we laid have plans? A system, yeah. yeah. And he's just like, no, I like to mess up marriages, you know. And so um, that's. Again, not the only answer, but those are certainly some inciting incidents that are going to eventually end up with Warwick and Clarence turning um, on Edward the King. Um, a spicy detail from this is that um, Warwick actually accuses both um, Elizabeth, the, so the new the new wife of the of the king, and her mother of witchcraft. <laughs> and uh, my my note on this is. Ah, right like <laughs> wow first of all um that was like it, it's a difficult claim to come back from like anybody who studied the much later history of like the salem witch trials can see because anyways that's just like a it's sort of like a third rail sort of thing like classic because it works right There's yeah like no and it's just like it. she can't be that hot like naturally it has to be witchcraft <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Look at her heavy lidded eyes. Where do you think she got those? <laughs> um yeah, so that's uh that's not great. Um and all of this is going to eventually lead to Elizabeth's father um is executed. So Richard Woodville um oh. is eventually gets execu- um, executed. So he was um the Duke of Rivers, which is a great title. I'd love to have it sometime. Um the Duke of Rivers and Warwick kind of Wait ends up waging war on or kind of a proxy war on the Woodvilles. He wants to bring them down and destroy them for reasons that we can kind of already see. Um, and eventually there's a, a Yorkist defeat at a battle of Edgecott and uh, Elizabeth's father and her brother are both taken prisoner and have their heads cut off. And this is all kind of at the prodding of Warwick. So not ideal right so concurrent with all this on the side we've got some other spicy things going on um margaret beaufort negotiates with the duke of clarence so the the newly angry brother of the king (laughs) and um gets um is, is eventually going to lead to jasper tudor and henry tudor the exiled um children are going to eventually return to court um warwick also is going to be negotiating with Margaret of Anjou. So the, the French lady, he was like, I tried so hard to get our families married or the, you know, these two houses married together. Sorry, <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, and Warwick um, marries his daughter Anne Neville to Edward Lancaster, who, as we remember, is the son of Margaret of Anjou and Henry VI. So we've got uh, Kingmaker is a great name for this guy. He is um, he's got his finger in a lot of pies. And I think this um, conversation specifically that we're having as I read this, I'm like, yeah, make this into a TV show, George R.R. R. Martin. Like you're a genius. genius <laughs> you've yeah. got people. I mean, 
switching sides and uh, it's just it's just great but so now we've got warwick and he's like hey i've got this other daughter yeah one daughter's married to the brother or to yeah to the brother of the king um i'm gonna marry my other daughter off to you know margaret of anjou's son and um just really complicate the whole thing basically we can't underline enough how crazy that is right like literally yeah. in the last episode Edward and the Kingmaker were fighting <laughs> Henry and Margaret's army. Yeah. And now, like, four years later, he's like, hey, could we have our kids get married? <laughs> <laughs> and she says yes. <laughs> she yeah. agrees. And Neville marries Edward Lancaster. It's crazy. Yeah, because it's it's a game, right? <laughs> it's the game of thrones. <laughs> it, it really does sort of feel like that. Like, I mean, everybody's just jockeying and yeah, that's that's a real a real bonkers one. Warwick swoops in and is like, "Let's marry our children to each other." Just just crazy. So Warwick the Kingmaker has defected against Edward the Fourth and joined forces with Margaret of Anjou and her son Edward Lancaster on the Lancastrian side. And Edward's brother has done the same. Uh, George, Duke of Clarence, is a little upset with his brother Edward, and he says, I'm going to go join the Lancaster side now. Uh, York be damned. So they raise an army together, and the army is quite scary. They bring the army to London, and it is successfully scary enough that Edward IV and his other brother, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, flee the city. They flee London on October 2nd of 1470. And then four days later, Warwick the Kingmaker enters London unopposed. They bring in the army to the city and he personally goes to the Tower of London and frees the old king, Henry VI. So Henry VI is back and he's out of jail. And they say, let's parade him through the city. But Henry VI is not a well person. He is not mentally well. And he is too feeble to uh, go through the city on his own. He has to be led by the hand on a parade through London to show him off to everybody. He cannot do it by himself. And this, by the way, is a man who is only 48 years old. Wow. But he's back. Technically, the Lancastrian regime is back in power. Uh, although many at the time described it as a Lancastrian in a Neville costume. It's <laughs> kind of a jab there at Warwick, the kingmaker, who comes from the house of Neville. So Henry VI is like a puppet, but behind it all you have uh, Warwick. What's his name? Oh my gosh. Yeah, Warwick. Richard. Is it Richard Warwick? Warwick Oops. is his last name. Where's Neville his last? Yeah, Richard Neville, Earl, Earl of Warwick. Richard Neville, <laughs> Earl of Warwick. Good Lord. Okay. <laughs> we'll call him Warwick. Yeah. Um, and so now you really understand, by the way, why Warwick has the nickname that he has, right? Kingmaker. He's now made two different kings on two different occasions. He put Edward IV on the crown when he took it from Henry VI. And then he made Henry VI... Uh, have the crown when he took it from Edward the Fourth. <laughs> so he's yeah, been just, there flipping. He didn't just make right? two kings; he's also like making opposing kings, right? Yeah, he's just flipped the pancake, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but unfortunately for Henry VI and for Warwick the Kingmaker, this new regime is too unstable. Warwick himself has openly declared that he is disloyal to his cause. So it doesn't take a genius to look up at Warwick and be like, that guy could flip at any time. Uh, He's flipped sides. He's flipped from York to Lancaster. And the court that he's bringing around is in theory now a Lancaster court. And they're all mad at him because he used to be on the York side. So at least one noble in the room, who's uh, Edmund Beaufort, a cousin of Margaret Beaufort, is pointing the finger at Warwick, saying, you're the reason that my father died, because his father, one of the Beauforts, died in the first battle against (laughs) Richard of York, the first battle of the Wars of the Roses, the Battle of St. Albans. And uh, Warwick, the kingmaker, was there for that battle. And so it makes total sense to me. It's like, hey, (laughs) you rose up against us. And now all of a sudden, you're not only behind the throne, but you are kind of in the throne because Henry VI is not doing it, you know? This kind of reminds me of the, you know, historically much later, but somebody we've already talked about on the podcast when we discussed the really sad tale of Benedict Arnold who is oh, yeah. you know, the most famous side switcher of all time, perhaps. Yeah. And he just had these visions of like, yeah, I'm going to b- return my loyalty to the king and I'm going to be celebrated. And of course he wasn't. Everybody hated him. Yeah. Like, that's he's, why you can't switch sides. <laughs> yeah. Because like, nobody is going to support you. Both sides are going to be mad. Nobody's going to support you. And as the point you made is like, and can we trust this guy? Like he just sold out everybody. So who's to say he's not going to do it to us again? You know, it's it's a it's a hard position to be in. Although Richard Neville and uh, Benedict Arnold both put themselves in that position, so you know. Yeah, definitely. And I have to wonder too. There's obviously from the future we see with 2020 vision here, but this just seems very unwise on Warwick's <laughs> part because yeah, you scared Edward the Fourth away for an evening. <laughs> But he is young and virile and uh, famously loves to be in battle. And your king, Henry VI, is old and can't walk down the street by himself. And he hates battle. (laughs) So how do you think this is going to go? And believe it or not, Edward IV comes back a couple of months later and he's gathered a new army. And it's now backed by Burgundian support. And Burgundians are folks in the Burgundy region of France who support England and who actually want England to rule over France. Kind of an interesting little sect there. So Edward has this newfound army and he brings the army to London and it scares the people in London. (laughs) Namely, it scares his brother, George Duke of Clarence, who just switched sides. And he gets scared enough that he says, I'm going back. And he ditches Warwick on the Lancaster side. And he defects technically to join back with his brother. And Edward IV is like, uh, welcome back, dude, I guess. I don't, <laughs> who can even say at this point wow. like, who is loyal to who at this point? But, you know, he's back. And George Duke of Clarence has left. And that's pretty critical uh, for Warwick's cause because he's now missing one of the prominent nobles. So 
Edward IV and his new army and George Duke of Clarence march on London and they recapture Henry VI again. Henry VI is now out of power and he's in prison and the Lancastrian side is scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. In April of 1471, the Lancaster army meets the York army at a place called Barnett in what is known as the Battle of Barnett in a hazy, misty spring day. It's very cloudy. It's very difficult to see. Edward's army is opposing Warwick the Kingmaker and Warwick's very skilled brother, John Neville, who is a, a military tactician and was a, a powerhouse to be reckoned with in the battlefield. Edward's emblem on his shield and all his flags and everything, which they used so that they could tell who was who, his emblem is a sun. And the opponent's emblem that they're carrying on the field is a star. And the two, you can actually look at pictures of what they look like. They look pretty similar. It's like a circle with points coming out of it. And imagine that you're fighting in five o'clock in the morning in hazy mist. You're trying to see the shields of uh, your opponents and everything. They can't tell what's what. And the Lancastrian armies can't see the emblems clearly enough through the mist. And they start attacking their own men, thinking that when they're supposed to be attacking the sun, they're actually attacking the star. Wow. You can imagine this is just an easy victory for Edward at this point. His <laughs> men do not have this problem. Maybe they are more clued into what the sun looks like. I don't know. Uh, but they clean up, basically. The Lancastrians start eating each other. And Edward cleans up. They kill John Neville, the brother of Warwick the Kingmaker. And at that point, Warwick really loses his steam. And he had been so resilient and so uh, forceful that when his brother died in the battle, you could tell he really lost hope. And he started fleeing. He starts running back to, I think, to London. I'm not sure which direction they were headed. And as he's running, he's unhorsed and he's killed. You can go to Barnett now in England, and there's actually a stone obelisk that's built to commemorate the spot where Warwick the Kingmaker fell. Wow. It's tall, it looks like 10 feet tall or so. I think that's really neat. I would love to see that. Yeah. He was the most influential person in the political system at the time. Nobody else existed who was commanding so much power. So his death really left a vacuum because it was just like, you know, one of the big figureheads has, has died. And... Edward does not give Warwick and his brother the same treatment that they usually give to traitors. Traitors were usually quartered and displayed at the city gates. Quartering, by the way, meaning, I believe, that they're cut into four pieces, like into quarters. Yeah, correct. And yeah, so not very nice. <laughs> and displayed at the city gates. But instead, he left them whole, and he hangs their naked bodies in St. Paul's Cathedral for three days. Uh, to quell any rumors that they had survived. It was important to hang the bodies so that everybody could see, no, they actually died. Uh, you've been to St. Paul's Cathedral, right? You know, I actually don't think so. Oh, I thought that you went. It's in London? I don't know. I haven't been. Yeah, I don't think I've been. Um, I would also like to go to St. Paul's Cathedral. 
But I, I do have to wonder what it's like to show up in church one day and there's just two naked <laughs> soldiers hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, different times. And they're like, hey, look, we got them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened to anybody who is attending St. Paul's Cathedral. <laughs> so Edward is totally back. He's killed Warwick, the kingmaker in battle. He's killed John Neville. Uh, the Lancastrian army has fought themselves to death. So there's really not too many people to oppose at this point. Um, Edward recrowns himself king, which is fantastic. But if you'll pay attention here, there are three key people left over that have not been dealt with. And Edward has some business to attend to with these three key people. And one of those people is the prince, Edward Lancaster, right? The son of Margaret of Anjou and Henry VI. Uh, we got to deal with Edward Lancaster. So they go back to battle. One month later, Edward IV marches army at what is known as the Battle of Tewkesbury. And this battle, weirdly enough, is personally led by Margaret of Anjou. I don't believe that she was in the field fighting, but she's there and she's kind of dictating where things are supposed to go. Wow. And her son is there, Edward Lancaster, and he's so young, he's fighting his first battle. And his first battle, unfortunately, becomes his last. Edward IV wins this battle, and Edward Lancaster probably died somewhere in the middle of all the fray fleeing the battlefield. But there are a few sources in history that agree on one story. And in his play, Shakespeare mentions this story. The play is Henry VI, part three. And I never knew there were so many of those Henry VI plays. Yeah. I've never read this one. But in the play, Shakespeare tells the story that's agreed upon from these three accounts. And that's that Edward Lancaster, the prince, is captured in battle, and they bring him before Edward IV and his brothers, George, Duke of Clarence, and Richard, Duke of Gloucester. So all the three York boys are there, right, facing the Lancastrian prince. And Edward the king says, why did you take up arms against me? And Edward Lancaster, the prince, says, I came to recover my father's heritage, talking, of course, about Henry VI. Hmm. And the York brothers are enraged, and they each take their swords and they stab him to death. And that's how they say that Edward Lancaster died. Wow. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but um, it's kind of dramatic if it is. So we've dealt with person number one. Now there's two <laughs> more people to deal with, right? Obviously, one of those people is Margaret of Anjou, Edward's mother. Edward captures her. They imprison Margaret of Anjou, and she stays in prison for years uh, until eventually she's ransomed by her cousin. She is a French princess, after all, and her cousin, Louis XI, is king of England, and he decides we'll bring Margaret out of, uh, of prison. Margaret, during her lifetime, and I hope we've conveyed during this podcast, she had a reputation for being very aggressive and very ruthless. But after the war and the death of her son, her spirit was totally broken. And she was never the same after that. I think she felt like she had lost everything that she'd ever worked for and that she had been defeated in her mission. She died impoverished as a poor relation of Louis XI at only the age of 52. Wow. So, yes, very young. And the once powerful queen behind the king is now totally destroyed, impoverished, and 
too young to be dying. So that's person number two. We've, we've X'd off Edward of Lancaster and we've X'd off Margaret of Anjou. But there is one third person to deal with. And we know that that person is Henry VI, the old king. Henry spent his last days in prison having visions and he had a vision of a woman that he saw through his window attempting to drown a child. And we know that his mind was never really well for the last few years of his life. Uh, but that's what they said happened to Henry as, uh, as he approached his final days. Hmm. And the author of the book I was reading, Dan Jones, says, a more physically harmless inhabitant of the Tower of London, it was hard to imagine. Talking, of course, how Henry is not somebody to be reckoned with. But he says, Edward was no longer prepared to be merciful. The chronicler of history that uh, chronicled the York story wrote that the king was so sad about his son dying that he died of a broken heart. He was overcome with melancholy over losing his son and he died uh, unable to bear the grief. Now, do we think that is true? <laughs> <laughs> because that's what the York Chronicler is telling us. Uh, he's telling us this about Henry VI, who is in prison. It's a little bit fishy. It's a little bit know. like the uh, Russian oligarchs recently who have been, you know, falling out of ho uh, hospital windows. I haven't heard this. Oh, there's a whole Wikipedia page about uh, prominent Russian figures who have... Um, ceased to breathe in just 2022 oh, people people yes. who've been opposing the war in ukraine have been oh, wow. committing suicide at high, high rates maybe they're just a little bit <laughs> they're dying of a broken heart maybe overcome with melancholy <laughs> yeah so that's a little bit fishy uh as for how the story goes in addition to being fishy we know a couple of crucial details about what happened to Henry VI. One is huge. The brother of Edward IV, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, we know that he was in the Tower of London on the same night that Henry died. The next day, Henry's body was wrapped in linen and taken to St. Paul's Cathedral. And when it was taken to the cathedral, it bled on the pavement several times. And years after Henry was buried, his body was exhumed and moved to a different location. And when they moved it, they found that it looked like he had been bludgeoned to death. His hair was matted down with blood against his head. <sighs> no one at the time really believed that Henry died of melancholy. And it didn't take the exhumation. They, they realized it before news of a secret assassination of the king spread like wildfire uh, all throughout the courts and it became common knowledge in the other countries that edward had exterminated his enemies and one ambassador wrote he has chosen to crush the seed wow and thus ends the uh, story of henry the sixth and margaret of anjou and their son edward lancaster wow that's that's a very wild chapter in this story. But as we kind of are looking forward to what's going to come next, like this is definitely a series or a season finale, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've got the three remaining enemies wiped out, but like 
man, there's just so much more to come. Like this is, you'd be forgiven if it's like, and that's how it ended. He wiped everybody out. It's like, not even close. (laughs) I know. Right. And we have to underline here the importance of what just has happened, which is Edward has turned a corner because when he captured Henry the sixth in our last episode, he specifically decided not to kill anybody. Hmm. And we talked at the time about whether or not that was a good decision, right? And we mentioned, yeah, maybe it's not a good decision to to keep your enemies alive, or maybe it is a good idea because Henry VI is not a very strong opponent. He'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and we just dealt with the ramifications of that, right? They took back the crown from Edward IV. Henry VI did take the throne. So it didn't get a chance to go to the the young prince, right? That may have been pivotal for him to keep Henry VI alive at the time. Hmm. But no matter what, <clears throat> in the end, he decided that he could not be merciful two times in a row. So Edward, in this story, has overcome obstacle after obstacle. But there was one obstacle that Edward could never escape. And it's the same obstacle that haunted Sir Gawain and Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And it haunts everybody else. And that is the inescapable hand of death. Hmm. And we'll talk about the next time when we talk about Edward IV and uh, his brother, Richard Duke of Gloucester, Richard III. Which this upcoming chapter, this might be my favorite chapter, partially because it's the one I know. But man, buckle up. I'm I'm very excited. It's (laughs) very juicy. One footnote before we close out today. We mentioned earlier in the episode the idea of Edward IV marrying Margaret Beaufort, the widow of Edmund Tudor. She was a descendant of Edward III through John of Gaunt, and she would bring legitimacy to Edward's claim. She was also a Lancaster, so it would help to form a truce between the two sides. But there were two big reasons why Margaret was not considered a serious option when the kingmaker was shopping around for brides for Edward. One reason was that she was not French, and they really wanted a French noblewoman to help secure French lands for England. But the other reason is even more important, and that is that she was already married. After Edmund Tudor died, Margaret got married to Sir Henry Stafford only two years later. Join us next time when we continue the series by discussing Richard III, In preparation for the episode, we are going to watch the 1995 movie, which stars Ian McKellen as Richard, and which is set in a modern-day setting of Britain in the early 20th century. If you'd like, you can watch the movie along with us before the episode starts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.